Can we uh, frame this a little bit? I, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Al Masri, and I've got today's Globe and Mail, which uh, I plan to use as a part of the introduction. And uh, I want to uh, get into some discussion about what's going on in Palestine, Israel, because I think all, uh, Tony and Alexa and Mohammed all have uh, some definite positions on that. We've been talking about the wall. We call it the wall of the war on terror, and we've been talking about walls and bridges as a, a metaphors to do with globalization. Uh, but I, I do want to uh, get into the issue uh, a little bit before we go into the global scene, the geopolitical scene, about uh, this question of the RCMP coming into the middle of an election. This is a, a topic which resonates with us in this class because we've, we've, we've looked at student politics. We've looked at how the RCMP in the APEC affair seemed to be under the direction direction of the Prime Minister's office and how the uh, media was spun to discredit uh, Terry Molesky at the uh, CBC who was getting into the story of how the RCMP were manipulated for political purposes. The RCMP are in a law enforcement agency. They're not supposed to be a political enforcement agency. Once you have the, the national police intervening in politics, to advance a political agenda, that's a very serious violation of the rule of law. And uh, so the reality that the RCMP in the middle of the election announced an investigation into um, um, the finance minister's uh, trusts, investment trusts issue, to, to announce an investigation in the middle of an election is a highly political act on the part of the RCMP. And the RCMP's story is that the NDP finance critic gave them the information. And maybe that is a, a cover-up for a deeper story. Uh, this, to me, is a, a subject which is, is very uh, central to me. Now, when it comes to issues of the rule of law, I just want to put down uh, an old uh, copy of the Globe and Mail here, uh, October 16, 2000, 2005, pretty recent, uh, deal struck to unite the right. So recall that Stephen Harper was head of something called the Alliance Party. Peter McKay had become leader of the Progressive Conservative Party based on a contract, on a, on a specific contract he made with someone who threw him his support, David Orchard. And if you go to our website, we have a class where David Orchard spoke with us in this format. And that agreement, which all saw the, you know, the writing on the serviette or whatever, was that Orchard would give the support to McKay to become leader of the Progressive Conservative Party provided that McKay never join with Harper and the Alliance. So this, what's being called the Conservative Party, we need to remind ourselves, was created in an act of fraud, was created in, an, in a breach of contract, a specific contract. So now we have a government of Canada which was founded in a violation of a, of a contract. So the, the idea that this government might not be 
there may be issues about the rule of law, and there may be issues about who was the RCMP really working for, who was the RCMP really answering to, what was the role of, of, of the NDP in, in advancing that investigation? Is the NDP to, to take all of the responsibility for this, or was this a convenient uh, explanation for the RCMP to give? So I can't, under, I can't understate the importance of dealing with this issue, which of course we don't see the media wanting to deal with, but the intervention of the RCMP to a, in the middle of a, of a federal election uh, I do recall very well when Tony Seed and uh, Digila Al-Rakabi and uh, others, we were um, looking very carefully at the visit of George Bush after he got his second mandate, the visit of George Bush to Ottawa and then to Halifax. He made a very direct line to Stephen Harper. He spent a lot of time in private with Stephen Harper. And there is no doubt that the Alliance Party of Canada is more a reflection of right-wing Republican Party policies emanating from the United States than conservative policies which are rooted, as George Grant uh, told us, there is, a, there is an overlap. George Grant, the famous Canadian philosopher, viewed conservatism and socialism as, as having much in common. So this present uh, party that calls itself the Conservative Party seems very distant from the, the old uh, progressive conservative party. Um, that, that Tony, uh, Tony, this is Mohammed. Can I, yeah. uh, I have a couple of comments uh, on Alex and uh, Tony in Halifax. Can, can, can I, I just uh, introduce you so, so the students get a better feel for who you are, Mohammed? Uh, I haven't properly introduced you. And uh, so I'd, I'll, I'll, I'm ready for you to jump in. So today's newspaper, if we go to the document camera, uh, this business with the cartoons, which Tony referred to, is on the cover. This is one of the key uh, figures who, who is getting involved in the politics of it. Uh, again, you know, one, would, one might have questions about what, what is really driving this. So there is a recognition in today's Globe and Mail on page uh, A12 in an article uh, written by uh, Michael uh, Volpe, a uh, very famous uh, mail reporter. And he refers in today's paper to uh, Mohammed El Masri, president of the Canadian Islamic Congress, said violent demonstrations simply aren't a fit with the Canadian Muslim community which, because of Canada's immigration requirements, he said, is the most highly educated Muslim community in the world. And uh, Dr. El Masri is a, a renowned uh, engineer of uh, electrical engineering, computer engineering, computer systems engineering. When I was in high school, uh, even then the idea was if you, if you were into computers, you went to Waterloo. Waterloo was tops. And uh, Waterloo has, for instance, the, the database of, they do the Oxford uh, English Dictionary at Waterloo. The database on the English language is done there. So uh, Dr. Al-Masri has played a, a major role in the computer revolution that we live with now and has done formative work and is uh, broadly published in the field. He's also been, uh, the much uh, beloved uh, president of the Canadian Islamic Congress 
and I got to work with him and uh, see him in action over the Labor Day weekend uh, when I took part in an event there uh, on um, what is being called smart integration, the approach that the Canadian Islamic Congress is taking to uh, uh, generating uh, good relations between uh, Arab and Muslim peoples who are Canadians or in the process of becoming Canadians. So I'm, I'm quoting again from the Globe and Mail, today's Globe and Mail from Dr. Al-Masri. They would find legal and peaceful means of protest far more productive, said the Imam and professor at the University of Waterloo. With demonstrations, you cannot have full control over who does what. His organization, the largest Muslim umbrella group in Canada, has actively discouraged demonstrations over the cartoons and has spoken publicly against the violent protests, as has the Muslim Canadian Congress. So I think the author of this paper is acknowledging that this uh, violence, which is uh, ravaging, uh, ra ravaging its way through Europe, and other parts of the world doesn't, uh, isn't afoot in Canada, and the Canadian Islamic Congress uh, is being acknowledged as, as part of a, of a more moderate approach, a more moderate response here in Canada. With that introduction, uh, uh, Dr. Al-Masri, uh, please intervene as, as you see fit, and uh, after your points, whatever they may be, I think responding to what has already been said, Maybe we'll go into the Palestine-Israel question and Canada's relationship to that and uh, the new government uh, of the Palestinians, the uh, Hamas government, which was referred to. Maybe we'll get into that. Dr. Al-Masri. Okay, uh, I have, uh, can you hear me well? Yes, very well, thank you. Okay, uh, I have a few uh, points uh, made. Uh, the first one, I just want to tell uh, your audience that the Canadian Muslim community is about 750,000. This is a projection statistics uh, Canada. And we are in major uh, Canadian cities, uh, uh, Toronto, uh, Montreal, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, and, and Halifax. Uh, if you look uh, at the community in the polit uh, political activities spectrum, we find that we're almost at the bottom. We, we are, along with blacks and, and First Nations, that we are not politically active. Uh, and it, there is a big gap between us and, for example, other minorities like the Jewish community or the Sikh community who are much more active than us. So the good news is that there is no uh, uh, place to go except up. We have to really to reduce that gap. Uh, another dimension that Canada, as most of you know, uh, has a democratic deficit. Um, Tony. Uh, said that there is um, around 65 or 63 of eligible voters voted in the last election. This is coming down from some 80 percent about 20, 30 years ago. And, and the situation is worse, actually, in our community. And, and we, we try to balance this. Uh, in the 2004, we did the uh, grading of member of parliament uh, based on the previous four years. We gave them an A or B or an F based on their uh, activities uh, and, and uh, performance in parliament uh, over four years. And, and at the end of the campaign, uh, I think we were really scared that there would be a split of vote and Harbour can, uh, can win. Uh, so we went out of our way in the last three weeks of the campaign 
uh, in 2004, and we told our community and Canadians at large, hold your nose and vote liberal. And there was, this has actually been circulated around by the media and, and many, many re, uh, sources. And I think many analysts give credit to CIC for whatever good or bad that the liberal actually got into uh, a minority situation last zero four. In the zero five and zero six uh, election, we decided to focus only in about 100 ridings where Muslims have a large percentage. And we did actually, uh, took a, we took another uh, methodology of actually voting candidates, not parties. Um, the reason is that we thought that this is more personal and people have to get involved. And we did interview about one third of the candidates. This is a huge effort. And we, we tried to attract university students and said, this is your country, you have to go to vote. Uh, before the voting, you have to be informed. You have to be a multi-issue voting. You can't go on uh, same-sex marriage or abortion or X, Y, Z. Uh, the best way is to see if the candidate for that party, of course, the party policy and platform will have an impact. Uh, and, and then we selected this 100 uh, ridings. Uh, we we uh, uh, graded uh, over 500 candidates uh, from uh, different political parties. One third had been interviewed person to person, the rest through emails and, and correspondence. Um, the one disappointing uh, experience that I had, we tried very hard uh, through all the political parties, the, f the four of them, the ones we showed up on TV, the NDP, is to bring two very important issues in our views, not only to Canadian Muslims, but Canadians at large. The first one, civil liberties, because we, we see an emerging police state in this country, and it's a very dangerous situation. Uh, there is a, a proposed no-fly listing that the Liberal government uh, put into place. It will uh, go through uh, uh, like a piece of cake with the Conservative. There is uh, no passport listing. No, uh, many Canadians don't know that. In, in the no passport listing, there is more than 70,000 Canadians on a no passport listing. And the media doesn't give exposure to this. About uh, 20,000 out of the 70,000 are according to court procedures and they are criminals. And the rest, which is something like 50,000, are uh, put onto the no passport list because of civil servants' uh, power given to them after 9-11. Uh, uh, and also, as you, as you mentioned before, uh, the uh, security certificates, uh, the anti-terrorist law, uh, the power given to CSIS and RCMP. So you can see uh, all uh, the uh, features of, of an emerging police state. Uh, in the 60s, there was uh, no, I mean, there, sorry, in the 60s, there was uh, uh, red scare, you know, anybody who has a social tendency, uh, if anybody are old enough to know this, that the, uh, or a communist, uh, this is a good reason for, for blacklist you, you, you lose your job and you ruin your uh, life. Now, the two issues, uh, the civil liberties and foreign policy, these two issues have not been debated by the two English TV debates and also the two French ones. 
and we did the most effort to contact uh, the uh, leaders of these parties to the media, and they keep repeating the same old boring issues, uh, English debates after French debate. And for God's sake, I mean, this is civil liberties, very important, and foreign policy, we're sending our Canadian young people to Afghanistan, you know, 2,000 of them. And, and uh, Canada spent 200 million a year uh, on military operation in Afghanistan, while they spend only 200 on helping uh, uh, Afghani people. I had a, a long uh, uh, meeting with Bill Graham just before the election, and I said, you must go to Afghanistan and leave behind you a Canadian legacy. You can't go and then just kill people and people kill you and send Canadians, young Canadians, back to home in bully bags. You have to build a new university, uh, a new uh, road, a new school, and you leave it behind. The Canadians been here before, and they left that. Uh, unfortunately, this did not happen. Now, uh, in the process, we learn about the Canadian Action Party. I don't know how many people know about the Canadian Action Party, uh, but, but this is uh, an important party. Uh, it's uh, on, the, on the left. So this is a message to, to Alexa and the rest. For God's sake, left must unite. You know, the Green Party, the CAP Party, and the NDP must unite in order, in order to have a voice in the next uh, uh, election, which is, say, one and a half or two years from now. Now, the, the, the last uh, point is that uh, the role of the media and the fact that they manipulate the information and they are not really trying to inform uh, the voters in order to, be, to have a, a really a healthy debate informed. And this is really uh, obvious by exploiting the foreign policy and also the civil liberties. We just lost Halifax. We just lost Halifax. Uh, okay, okay uh, Mohammed, we just uh, lost Halifax for a moment, and we don't have their IP, so we just hope they call us. Um, so if I can backtrack you there, uh, you talk about the no-fly list. And uh, what is this list? And might you be on this list, for instance? What, what is this list? Did, you, did I hear you correctly that well, there were... There is uh, two lists right now. One of them is the American no-fly list, uh, which the U.S. Uh, impose on, on any airlines that they cross the American uh, space, airspace. So this means that the, uh, even if, uh, if there is a, a flight by Air Canada uh, originating, say, from Winnipeg going to Vancouver, and during that flight path, they will cross uh, U.S. Uh, uh, airspace, that uh, Air Canada must uh, check the database they have for no-fly list. Again, it's the passenger list. So any passenger on that list uh, matching the database, uh, the Air Canada will deny home, them flying. And unfortunately, uh, this happened only in the airport. Uh, so this is the American no-fly list, which uh, Canadian airlines uh, are using today. Uh, and uh, it is actually put uh, haphazardly. Many people, even Bill Graham, as a minister of defense, find himself that he owns the list. Uh, you don't know how you got onto the list 
or how you can take your uh, name off the list, and people can actually lose their uh, their uh, jobs because if you are a salesperson and and you rely on traveling, uh, that the employer will can actually fire you. Uh, many of them are Muslims who are on this list, but we also got professor of uh, medicine in the University of Alberta uh, who contacted us. He's a, he's a white male, if you like, uh, non-Muslim, and he said also that he went to the airport and find himself listed there. Uh, th there's another list which is a proposed list. Canada wants to create their own no-fly list uh, in order to tell the Americans and any other countries that we have our own. So Canada will be the second country in the world to have a no-fly list of its own. The first one is the United States of America. The second one is Canada. And it is a, a proposal. Uh, the Transport Canada are working on it uh, under the directionship of the uh, former uh, pre uh, Minister of Transportation. And I, I am sure that uh, the Conservative government will actually follow suit. Uh, now, as, as a Canadian, as a, a Muslim, as an academic, uh, as a family man, I don't really mind to have a no-fly list for the security of flying uh, uh, either in Canada or overseas. But uh, the court should actually be in control of who are uh, listed and who is uh, not listed. And you should have a, a process, a due process, inform it. Uh, you can have a, your defense team. Uh, the government represent, uh, representative can uh, uh, show some evidence that uh, somebody like me or anybody uh, is a security risk. And then the judge will, ju will say, you know, that, uh, yes, this person is actually a security risk and, and should be listed. And, and if I don't like it, I can appeal this. This is not happening. The, the, all the power of listing and delisting will be in civil serving. Can you imagine that our rights of, of uh, mobilization, which is part of a human right package uh, by United Nations Universal Human Rights uh, issued, uh, and ours, ours here in Canada, that suddenly is given away to, to civil servants sitting in Ottawa to decide who will be listed and who is not. So this is a story about no-fly listing. Okay, Mohammed, uh, we've lost Halifax, and uh, they weren't able to give us their IP uh, address. They have ours. We depend upon them to get in touch with us. I think their tech probably went home. Seems to be the, the attitude of how things work. Um, so we may or may not uh, get them back. It's very frustrating because uh, there was a terrific uh, chemistry shaping up there, um, uh, a discussion that uh, I'm sure Tony and, and Alexa would have had uh, some interesting chemistry there. You know, um, historically, the, uh, there was a very uh, tough split among uh, the left wing, the socialist movement, uh, in the years before World War I. And um, some of the so socialists became social democrats and essentially said, we're going to uh, work within the system, the parliamentary system. We're going to work within the capitalist system to some extent. And then there were the uh, communist internationalists who said, no, we're, we, uh, 
we're going to overthrow the, the ruling class and we're going to uh, transform society that way. And there was a famous debate between uh, Edward Bernstein, who was a social democrat. And social democrats, of course, have had a huge amount to do with the governing of Europe since those days. And, uh, and Rosa Luxemburg uh, was the communist, um, uh, spoke up for the, the more um, uh, holding to the Marxist line and the internationalist line. So what we had in Halifax, and maybe we'll get it back, is uh, Alexa McDonough, a social democrat, and, and uh, Tony Seed, a communist, uh, who ran for the Communist Party of Canada and is uh, quite critical of uh, the NDP. Uh, uh, so, um, Can we come to Absolutely. What I was going to propose, though, was that, uh, by all means, do a question, but that we take a break. And uh, the plan had been, in any case, to, to spend the second half with, with Mohammed, because uh, Halifax was going to leave us at 7.30 in any case. So um, we'll take. Uh, a break for uh, seven, eight minutes, but if you want to ask a question right now. Andy is going to ask a question. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think um, I can address it. Hear me all right? Yeah, okay. Um, uh, first, that um, the writing of Westerner in the last 1400 years about Islam is not favorable. Uh, and the Muslims in general, they don't really mind us because we don't expect non-Muslims to subscribe to our faith. For example, you, you, you read many general commands and, and, and the semi-academic work saying Islam is a false religion, uh, Muhammad is a false prophet, uh, the Quran is written by Muhammad, etc., etc. Islam is being spread by the sword. Uh, so we are familiar with this and, we, and, and you find actually, you go to any library, uh, you find many, many, many books written on these themes. Now, the issue of the cartoon is actually different. Uh, first of all, uh, it really harm more Muslims than Islam, and there is a difference. Uh, Islam is a robust world. We are 1.2 billion people, and still Islam managed to attract many, many uh, converts from Indonesia to Canada every day. Uh, because if you are a, 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 a truth uh, seeker and you want to find the truth about any uh, belief system, one of them is Islam, and, and some people think that this is great. So, so really Islam is, is, has no harm, uh, got any harm from the cartoon. What the cartoon did really is uh, make uh, a strong linkage, and uh, cartoons are very powerful than the word because it has an image, uh, you can see it in, in one second, and then you leave that image uh, an impact that uh, it, it make a link between 
uh, Islam, the prophet of Islam, uh, and terrorism. If you make a cartoon about bin Laden, I mean, it's not a problem, or, or a terrorist uh, XYZ. But when you, when you link the faith of 1.2 billion people to terrorism, this means that uh, I'm a terrorist because I'm a Muslim. And this is actually the, the objection that the Muslim and the harm is actually amplified uh, for uh, Muslim minorities. Because remember, minorities are more uh, vulnerable to uh, negative stereotype than majority. So for example, if I, be, I am Egyptian born, if I live in Egypt, you know, among uh, 70 million Muslims, and somebody make a bad jokes and bad taste about my faith, who cares? You know, uh, but when I, I become really uh, part of a minority, like say in Canada, and, and, and my children uh, are Canadian born and they feel this uh, uh, negative stereotypes are impacting their self-image. And, and uh, we suffer in, in the community since 9-11. I mean, people right now, they cannot apply for a pilot license they can't apply to RCMP and CSIS easily. Uh, they cannot join the army. Uh, uh, <laughs> negative impact since 9-11. So in order for uh, a, a Danish right-wing uh, high circulation newspaper to hide behind uh, freedom of speech and freedom of, of uh, press and publish these offending cartoons, Remember The Guardian, the British newspaper, uh, last Monday published a report, a very interesting report, because it said that the same newspaper uh, uh, received three years ago uh, cartoons which make fun of Jesus Christ. And they refused to publish it. And they gave a reason for it. Said this is not really funny, it will offend many of our readers. So this is really hypocrisy. We, 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 we see them, that uh, they are really uh, taking care of their Christian readers, and they are not really paying attention to uh, the Muslim readers or the Muslims at large. So, so this is really a quality issue at the source. Uh, editors, uh, reporters, uh, cartoonists, they should really have the self uh, um, uh, Sorry, they should really have that uh, ethical journalistic uh, feeling that they should really treat people from different religions equally. I mean, the same newspaper will not dare to uh, 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 offer uh, uh, space to a Holocaust denier because uh, the Jewish community was successful in Europe and in North America to bring this to to the realm of, uh, of legal uh, and, and being criminalized uh, in, in many countries, that you are a, if you are a Holocaust uh, denial, that this is a crime against humanity. Muslims have not reached that. So this means that here is we have a double standard. Anybody can actually uh, create a, a problem to Muslim minorities in the West uh, and uh, uh, the arrogancy uh, was huge. The newspaper being contacted immediately, immediately after the publication, but 
they insist not to uh, apologize. The Prime Minister, uh, uh, the Danish, Danish uh, Prime Minister, also refused to uh, apologize. Uh, so this means that there is many mistakes. I mean, newspaper apologize all the time, especially if you are, uh, you know, you have the integrity and you really care about your readers. Uh, if you notice there is a, a mistake, bad judgment, you know, we all professionals and we, bid, we make bad judgment sometime. So people of, of integrity, that they actually said, well, we really made a mistake. We apologize for it. We did not intentionally uh, want to harm any uh, Muslims, especially our Danish Muslim community, and we move on. But right now, who's paying the price? The price is paid by Muslims around the world, okay? Now, the Muslims are looked upon as they are the aggressors, because some Muslims went on a violent protest you know, in Afghanistan, uh, Syria, and Lebanon. Uh, most of these people are not educated. They cannot really write a letter to the editor, to the Danish newspaper. They have no means to go to the embassy and, and write a, a letter of protest. So this is the only way they can express their anger. Well, we don't approve it. I'm just explaining to you. And who also pays the price? The price is actually the Danish economy. The, the, the one, one dairy product uh, company uh, in Denmark sells more than $500 million worth of sales to Muslim countries. This is just one company. And, and they lost this market. And they don't know how to recover it. Period. Finished. And the spokesman, actually, if you look at the business section of Global Mail yesterday, she said that we, uh, we, we had to spend 40 years of our business uh, uh, life in order to build this market. It's not easy to go foreign market with a different culture and, and to sell uh, dairy products. Uh, now, in five days, in the last five days, we lost that market. And we don't know how to recover it. And how long does it take us to recover it? So, so here, here you can see the situation. Another dimension to this cartoon Remember, I, I found it really difficult to believe the, the sincerity, for example, of uh, Mr. Peter McKay to apologize or, or say that this is not right uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the cartoons. Uh, the cartoons actually dehumanize Muslims at large. So this means that it will be easy for the United States of America to kill Muslims in Afghanistan. These are savage people. These are fanatics who give a damn about Afghani lost life. The same thing in, in Palestine, you know, the Muslims. Remember the, the one who burned the embassies in Syria and Lebanon? And the same thing in Iraq. So, so this, is, this is part of, of, of the global war that, that, uh, on terror that the U.S. is actually trying to uh, uh, propagate. You know, you take people, uh, uh, dignity, future, resources, killing their, their uh, civilians, and, and then uh, 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 you, you justify that by building a negative a stereotype image for these people. So it will be easy to justify, you know, 
if the, if the Canadians now, the 2,000 of them, they go and kill Afghani, right and left, they are Taliban, they are, uh, they don't know if they are Taliban or not, because uh, the Afghani people wear the same thing. The turban and, and the one which you see all the time, and the woman wears the same thing. So you don't know the Taliban from the non-Taliban. How do you know? And then it becomes easy to sell this to, to uh, uh, people back home. I think I, I did maybe try to uh, explain a little bit more than the, what the question is, but I hope you forgive me. <laughs> uh, I'll, just, I'll just say thanks. Are there other questions, or is there a feeling we should take a break? Uh, Melanie, do you want to ask a question? How are you feeling, Mohammed? I, I'm okay, actually. Yeah? You, you, shall, we, shall we take a break here? Are, are people feeling strong, or do they... Do you, like, I'd like to keep going. Really Pardon? Just keep going? Yeah. Okay, Melanie. Uh, Dr. Al-Masri, I, I had a couple of things to say to in response to what you had to say, um, simply because I'm somewhat familiar with the situation because I lived in Denmark for close to four and a half years. And I lived in Aarhus, which is uh, the town where this big thing with the cartoons started, because Yulens Posten is published just outside of there, or rather in the northern part of town. Um, and I know that there have been many problems within Danish society of integrating, for lack of a better word, the Muslim immigrant community. And by and large, the immigrant community in Denmark is Muslim. And it's an ongoing thing, and I think this was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. But this hit in September, and we didn't have a big thing about this until now. And doesn't that say something about it? I understand that you feel that, or that Muslims in general would feel that there should be an apology for this, and I absolutely agree. You don't take someone else's religion and make fun of it in such a way that offends them, ever. You have to respect people in that, in that sense. However, I don't think it's right that Anas Rasmussen, who is the Prime Minister of Denmark, be forced to apologize for what is actually a free media. He is not responsible for what a free newspaper publishes in its pages, and legally speaking, he can't say, well, yes or no, you can't do that. They didn't do anything illegal per se. That's pretty much all I had to say. Okay. I think you, you brought uh, uh, good points. And let me address one at a time. The first one about the migrants' uh, integration. You're right. Some Muslims uh, have a hard time, and including the, the, the Muslims in Canada. But I just want to make sure that you understand this. This is a two-way process. The, the country, uh, which is in this case Denmark, must actually go to an, uh, an outreach, uh, a scientific plan, uh, uh, including resources, to make sure that uh, these migrants are integrated into the community. And the community itself has to have uh, self-effort uh, uh, in order to do it. Exactly like if you, for example, if you have a family and you go out of your way and adopt a child, uh, the family itself has to really change some of its ways in order to make sure that that child is actually happy uh, in, in the new home. The same thing, the child itself, of course, 
uh, if he's an adult, he will also do some changes. So there is adoption and ad uh, adoption in, in, the, in the process. And uh, I think Canada somehow uh, are doing a good job, perhaps, than, say, many of the uh, European countries. I don't know exactly about the Danish because I have no uh, direct contact, but I can compare, for example, the Canadian Muslim community. Remember, up till now, when you, you say a word Muslim in Germany, what it comes in your mind? Anybody can shout? Turk. Perks. Turk. Oh, Turks. Okay. If you say Muslims in, in say, France, what you come in your mind? Uh, in your mind? Algerians. Algerian, exactly. So it doesn't matter if you are white or you're from Egypt or from what? Algerian. And if you say Muslims in UK, what it comes in your mind? Huh? Pecky. Okay? Uh, uh, so so, so the, the good news, and what about the Muslims in the United States? Arabs. Well, uh, uh, black, actually, because, because there's a large majority of Muslims in the States are, are blacks. They're natives, you know, black natives from, from the States. Uh, but but the, the good news in Canada, the Canadians have, have not really got uh, us labeled yet, okay? So they don't know what to call us which is good news. You know, I can introduce myself as an Egyptian, a male, a professor, a father, a son, and, and also Muslim, okay? So, so this is the first point. The second point is about the prime minister. I mean, we, this is, we're talking about a westernly educated, high intelligent, professional politicians. We're not talking about uh, a developing third world country politicians, for God's sake, this guy, is intelligent and he should know if, if this is actually become an incident like that way. I agree with you. He's not responsible morally or politically or legally about what the newspaper because of freedom of press. But you have a brain, you know. You said, well, this is a mistake, and, and I speak for the, the Danish people, not the newspaper. I speak for the Danish people. We are a tolerant society and we respect our religion. And we understand that some Danish Muslims are hurt from these cartoons. Period, finished. So the, the editors, which I'm sure he's getting six, six figure salary, an experienced editor because of large newspaper like that. This is a case we have in Canada. I'm sure the same in Denmark. He should know better if he does a mistake, only got people with integrity, they said, I'm sorry, move on. You know, newspaper does it all the time, I'm sure including Danish newspaper, okay? But because the Canadian, uh, sorry, because the Danish Muslim community is weak, there is no threat of a libel suit, no lawyer send a letter to the editor and, and threaten him with a libel suit, the guy just, you know, he, he didn't give a damn, really. If I am a publisher of that newspaper, I will fire this person because he did more than one mistake. The, the mistake was bad judgment, and the second mistake is that, uh, uh, that he did not apologize. And the third mistake that uh, giving the fact that three years ago, and it came out now, 
that all the world now that this guy is a hypocrite, that, that he did not actually uh, do a professional job in terms of quality control. You cannot uh, reach excellence in your profession unless you be fair-minded.